Can you stand up with me? We're going to begin in Psalm 96, verses 8 through 13. The psalmist encourages us in this, encourages us to bring this action as we meet together. It says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then all shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's celebrate the faithfulness and the goodness of the Lord this morning. Your blessing comes and we may pray. 
church with our, our question and answer for today from the New City Catechism. We're in question nine. We're continuing what we've looked at the past few weeks in the law. The question is this this week. What does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? Say this with me as it's on the screen. First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence, honoring also his word and works. As I read this this week, that third one really stuck out to me. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence, honoring also his word works. We see this many places in scripture and particularly in the Psalms, but in Psalm 111.9, it says this about the name of God. It says that he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. And then it says, holy and awesome is his name. Holy and awesome 
is his name. I know that we, we sing this all the time. We know this to be true in our minds, but with how we live and how we approach God, do we really know that, there, that he is holy, that there is none like him in heaven or on earth? And do we approach him with reverence and with awe, realizing that we don't know a speck of sand about who he really is because he is so high and above all that we know or see. And yet he chooses to be with us, his people, this holy and awesome God that we are his people. Would you pray with me? And we're going to continue to sing to this awesome God that we serve. Lord, we repeat the words of the psalmist when we say holy and awesome is your name. Holy and awesome is your name. There is no one more worthy than you. Lord, and we, we ask, as we look at our lives, we ask forgiveness when we have made light of your name when we have used it flippantly, when we have forgotten the scope and the magnitude and the gravity and the weight of what your name carries in this world. Lord, give us a deep love and, and also fear and reverence for your name this morning. Lord, as we look in what's going on in the world right now, we know that you are in control. Though the nations rage, you are still on your throne. And that your name will get the glory. So we don't have to fear what's going on. Trust you, this holy and awesome God.
Thank you for being high and lifted up on your throne, Lord. Thank you for being the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one to whose name we shall lift up for eternity. 
and that this worthiness that we sang of, we shall never find the end of it, for there will always be more. Pray that you would open our ears as we hear from Hebrews 12 today. Let us be attentive to what you have to say and what you have to show us in our lives that you want to break in and do a work in. We love you. Thank you, Jesus, for being in control. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, this can be ages four through six, can be dismissed for Bible bills, so ages four through six. morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. When you were in school, did you ever get that feeling on the first day of class? It's the feeling of being overwhelmed at the sheer amount of information you're about to take in over the next year. I distinctly remember feeling that feeling the first day of high school in one of my first classes. It just, I was overwhelmed by the thought of four years in this building with eight classes, each of them building on the previous year and the sheer amount of information I was going to have to take in over those four years. In Hebrews, um, one of the author's major purposes is to encourage the believers to whom he's writing to endure their sufferings, trials, afflictions, persecutions, and hardships because of Jesus and like Jesus. Now, when you read verses 3 and 4, when you come to verses 3 and 4 and you read them, you may, you may be tempted to feel the same feeling that I felt, and that maybe you felt in school, of being overwhelmed at the sheer enormity of the task before you. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to endure like Jesus, who we just read last week, endured the cross? I'm, I feel weary and overwhelmed before I even start, if that's where I have to be. How will I ever get there? Well, the beauty of high school is that I didn't have to learn all four years on my first day. There was a process in place to get me there. And Hebrews 12 shows us 
Likewise, there is a process to get there. Now, it won't be pleasant at first, but it will ensure that we get there if we stick with it. In other words, if we endure. Now, that process is called discipline. So stand with me. And let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten... The exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I am so deeply aware of the difficulty of understanding this text, and even when we understand it, of accepting this text and the goodness of it. And so, God, I am also aware of my insufficiency to speak to this material. So, God, I ask that your spirit would help. Help us all to understand it well. Help us to treasure it contrary to what our flesh would want help us to love Christ more give me the grace to express it well and faithfully give us accuracy of interpretation and above all else help us to live this and all that it teaches us in our daily lives. Because here we are called to endure suffering and difficulty and hardship for your glory and for our good. And so I pray that you would equip us for that very thing. Help us to struggle well against sin. And help us to share your holiness. Show us more of your holiness and help us to share in your holiness. 
Thank you for Jesus. Let all that is said this morning glorify him and thus glorify the Father in the power of the Spirit. We make this prayer in his name. Amen. You can be seated. If you didn't get an outline, they are on the back table. You're welcome to go grab one of those. It'll have all of the points this morning, and it'll also on the back side have all of the cross-references of the verses that we're going to use. But the first thing that we see in verses 3 and 4 is a gospel consideration of endurance. A gospel consideration of endurance. Last week in verses 1 and 2, we were called to cast our gaze on Jesus, who endured the cross For the joy that was set before him, for the joy in front of him, held out to him, after that, he endured that. He was looking to the future. And here, we are commanded to consider Jesus, to give long, sustained attention to contemplating Jesus' sufferings and his endurance of those sufferings. That's what it says. Consider him. Who? Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And why are we told to do that? Well, the words so that clue you into the fact that he's giving the reason and the result. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Considering Jesus will actually help to keep us from growing weary, faint-hearted, or overwhelmed as we face the trials that we must endure. If I could say it this way, we must consider and apply the gospel to our suffering. We preach it to ourselves as we endure, and it will build us up in our endurance so that we don't grow weary as we suffer. Persistent consideration of Jesus' endurance will guard us when we feel like giving up. That's a more literal translation of the word faint-hearted, so that you won't want to give up. Can I just tell you, I love how honest the Bible is. Like It knows us, doesn't it? It knows that when we're suffering... We're going to get tired of it. And it knows that when we're suffering, we're going to want out. And that we're going to want to give up. And it says, Jesus didn't. So look to him. Consider him so that you don't give up. The persistent consideration of Jesus. Of his sufferings at the hands of hostile sinners. And of his endurance of all that the cross and his death and sufferings entailed. His endurance will keep you. It will guard you against growing weary and wanting to give up. And verse 4 is one, speaking of wrestling, that I have struggled with and wrestled with this week. Um, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That's a striking verse. The more that you think about it, the more it kind of smacks you in the forehead. Here's what I mean. Um, Let's just tease it out. The word there for struggle sounds like our word for antagonism. You know, the antagonist in a story is the person that's against 
the protagonist, the person that you're kind of rooting for, right? So antagonism is what that word sounds like. And that word is related to the word for agony. Antagonism, agony. It's the same root in our language and in the original language. The same root word, agony. The word for agony in the Bible occurs in one place, and that's in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. Let me just point you there. And I want you to hear, if you can hear a little bit of what's being said by our author in Hebrews here. In your agony against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. 22, 44. And being in agony, this is Christ. Agony, there's that word. He prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Okay. This is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane with the prospect of suffering for the sins of the world hanging over his head. The punishment for all of the sins of the world will fall upon him as he bears the wrath of God for those who will call upon his name. And so great is the prospect of that suffering. So great is his agony in that moment that his sweat actually becomes blood. Jesus is bent low in agony under the crushing weight of it all. He has come to struggle against sin, to fight against it, to wrestle it to resist temptation and ultimately win the battle. But his turmoil in the garden was so great that he sweated blood. He resisted to the point of bloodshed. But that's not all he did. Because he continued to say yes to the cross, to the bearing of the wrath of God against sins that he didn't commit all the way to death. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He resisted temptation. He resisted sin all the way to the shedding of his blood. And so, as we're called to consider this Jesus... Right? Who endured hostility from sinners against himself so that we don't grow weary. We are comparing his sufferings with our sufferings. And when we do that, what we will discover is the truth of what the author says. We have not yet resisted to that point. Like we have not yet gone all the way in our struggle, in our fight against sin to the point of shedding our blood. And that is meant to both encourage and challenge the people of God. The challenge, this is part of what's so striking about this verse to me, because the challenge to us, the implication of this, is that we should be willing to resist sin to the point of shedding blood. In other words, we're called to develop 
a preference for death over disobedience. Right? We're, we're called to prefer being crucified over dishonoring God in any way. It's right there. Right? Jesus is, when, when he's sweating drops of blood, where he gets to is, not my will, but yours be done. This is his way of saying to the Father, I would rather say yes to the cross than no to you. I would rather die than disobey, dishonor, or defame you in any way, however big or small it might be. If you were given the choice between disobedience and death, what will you choose? No Sunday school answers. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. If you're given the choice between disobedience and death, what are you choosing? We might like to think we would choose to die rather than disobey. I'm, and when I say we, I'm talking about myself. Maybe you're included in this. Maybe you're not. This is like the, this is the we that's me, really. Because this is all coming out of my own wrestling with this text this week. And me being confronted with the very same question. Do I share Jesus' preference for dying rather than disobeying? I fear many of us wouldn't even struggle with that decision on the way to choosing disobedience over death. Or, or maybe we would try to factor it in the, the severity of the sin. Well, depends on... <laughs> Anything that comes after that, right, is not good. But it depends on what kind of disobedience it is, right? Like, would I be willing to die over, like, lying? Probably not. Right? But, but would I be willing to die over cheating on my spouse? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, I'll die. I'll die instead of death. Like, we would reason, we would draw a line somewhere, and anywhere that we would draw the line, we would say, it's better to dishonor God in this area than to die, and all of these other ones, it's not. And Jesus is saying, I would rather die than do any of it. Oh God, convince us of the weight and seriousness of sin. Do you strive against all sin? Do you wrestle and agonize over sin? Do you fight it daily? Or does it crouch at the door only to have you open the door and invite it in? fear for many of us, not only would we prefer to disobey than to die, we would prefer to disobey rather than suffer. We will take almost any way out of suffering or hardship, even if it means sinning to get there. Some of us at times would rather would rather disobey than be inconvenienced. But here, we're called to prefer death to disobedience. We need, like, so, you think about that. 
Jesus would rather die than disobey. The next question is why? Why would he rather die than dishonor his father? It's because he has a right view of God's holy character. And if we would draw the line anywhere where we would say, I would rather die than disobey in all of these places, but not these places, then it's in these places that we have need of seeing the holy character of God the way that Jesus sees the holy character of God. His view is right. Ours needs to be adjusted. Because Jesus would rather endure cosmic judgment, physical torment, and death at the hands of people who hate him for things that he didn't do than to sin in any way. Jesus' view is right and ours needs to be adjusted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to that point. This is a gospel consideration of endurance. And what we need, what we need to get there is not what we would probably choose for ourselves. We need discipline from our loving Father. So we move from a gospel consideration of endurance to an Old Testament exhortation toward endurance. So in verse 5, he says, and, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The author asks if his hearers have utterly forgotten the exhortation from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, that, it, that he says addresses them as sons. And so he cites those verses, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, and then he explains the, the importance of them uh, to the people of God and, and in the point that he's making. Right? Human beings might believe, we might come to believe, we might be deceived right, into thinking that an easy life is a signal that God is pleased with us and that the opposite is also true. A life of adversity is, uh, is a sign that God is displeased with us. And he is saying it's actually the reverse. From Proverbs 3, our author argues that discipline is an emblem of divine love. A token of God's favor. It's a sign of sonship. Discipline is an emblem of divine love, a token of God's favor, and a sign of, of sonship. Right. Look at it. Verse 6. He disciplines the one he loves. It's an emblem of love to be disciplined. He chastises every son he receives everyone he welcomes he chastises it's a token of favor 
And then he says, if you don't, if verse 8, if you are left without discipline, in which all, and the, the implication is all of the children, right, have participated, in which all, then you are illegitimate children. So if you don't have discipline, you're not actually his child. You're illegitimate. It's a sign of sonship. In verses 9 and 10, he uses our earthly fathers as an illustration. They disciplined us for a short while as it seemed best to them. And what that implies is it's going to have been imperfect. All of us could look back and find ways our fathers were faithful to discipline us well. And at times that they disciplined us, maybe as a matter of their convenience or because it was just rules that they liked. But the intention was always right. The intention was always to do us good. It was never to harm us. Right? He's saying, we had fathers like that who disciplined us imperfectly, as it seemed best to them. But the point that he uh, wants to present uh, is, is that God is a perfect father who knows exactly what we need. It's not just how it seems best to him. It's what he knows is best for us. And he'll give us exactly what we need. And he's perfectly able to get exactly what he wants out of us. It's all for our good. We need discipline from our Heavenly Father. The question becomes then, well, okay, what is discipline? What does that mean? Everybody in here has a vague idea of what it means. And I have done my best to try to figure out how to explain this clearly um, But here's what I'm going to say before I go into what God's discipline looks like in the life of a believer. Um, This is by no means exhaustive. There will always be more to say. And what I hope is that this both encourages and challenges you, but also it's a conversation starter, not a conversation ender. I don't know if that's a word. Um, If you have more questions, uh, let me know. Let's have a conversation about this. Okay. What is discipline? So you're thinking, as you probably should, well, I mean, I wouldn't choose discipline for myself. I don't want it in that sense. But if it really is a sign of sonship, if it really is uh, supposed to ensure my heart that God does love me and sees me and knows me, well, then, of course, I want that. Like, I don't want it, but I want it. Because of what it says about me as a son of God or a daughter of God. So the word for discipline, both in the noun form, the person, place, or thing, and the verb form, the doing, disciplining, carrying out discipline, can mean a lot of different words. Uh, Correct, train, instruct, educate, or punish. Let me read those again. Um, Correct, train, instruct, educate, or punish. Now, in Hebrews 12, it seems like, when you read it, that it's being used in the way that we talk as parents, and and just generally in our society, we talk about discipline as a correction of some misbehavior in our children. That's what it feels like when you read this. 
Um, and, and I'll just say that, that that's a more punitive form of discipline when, when you have disobeyed, and so I will bring a consequence, uh, a moment of discipline that is tailored at correcting that disobedience. God does that with his children. He does. We don't always know which sin he is bringing that to us for, but God does do that. Uh, But we also have to be really careful because in the context of the book of Hebrews, like the immediate literary context of the Old Testament saints who were stoned and sawn in two, who were put to death with a sword, who went destitute and afflicted, they lived in caves and holes of the earth, right? We just read all about that at the end of Hebrews 11. It says the world wasn't worthy of them. They suffered unjustly, okay? Jesus, we dare not implicate him with sin that needed correction from his father. That was not what the cross was for him. And these Brothers and sisters to whom this is being written are under, we believe, under the threat of persecution. Persecution is not suffering for misbehavior. It's suffering for righteousness. And so what we have to say is, first of all, we have to be very careful that when we see a brother or sister suffering, that we don't immediately jump into, like Job's friends, fault finding. Well, God must be displeased with you. You just need to repent, and he'll restore you, and he'll, you know, he'll give you everything back that you lost, and all of that. we got to be careful about that. Uh, and yet, if we're suffering, there, it, it ought to turn us inward at, at some level and make us repentant, right? Like, we should, we should search for that, um, but we shouldn't always assume that God is just punishing. What have I done to deserve this, God? You know, I'm just like shaking our fists at him, um, We need to be careful um, because we also have to say that it's possible to suffer because of righteousness and it still be God's discipline for his children, for his righteous children. Because that's what's going on here. Like That's what's happening here. These people are under the threat of suffering for righteousness They think God doesn't love us. I want out. And he's saying, no, no, no. The fact that you are under the threat of persecution is a sign that he is pleased with you. Therefore, don't give up. Endure. The word for endure is a compound word. Just two words put together. Remain under. That's that's where we get that word endure from. Remain under. Remain under this trial. Remain under his loving hand of discipline. So it's, it might not be a particular sin that brought this suffering into existence in their lives, and yet it can still be God's discipline on them. And in that case... The purpose is not so much to correct misbehavior as it is to draw them toward his holiness. To bring them along in holy character and righteous conduct. 
if we could say it this way, his discipline purifies his people and it actually also equips them to fight against sin. So it, it may arise from some sin. It doesn't always have to. In either case, it would be discipline that is meant to cause us good. And that good is defined as sharing in his holiness and bearing the peaceful fruit of righteousness. He wants to draw us toward holy character and righteous conduct. So persecution, then, is absolutely in view here. And it is for the believer, God's discipline. But what about other forms of suffering? Everybody experiences suffering. You know, poverty, illness, death, despair, loss, sadness, hurt, trauma, etc. Um, because we live in a fallen world and because we are sinners. So the question is, can those forms of suffering also serve as God's discipline? The answer has to be yes. But it, it ultimately boils down to, like whether it's discipline or not, ultimately boils down to whether the sufferer is one of God's children or not. Here's what I'm going to argue. What I, what I believe is biblically true. For believers, all suffering that we experience from the fallen world, the fallen man, from fallen, other fallen people, is fatherly discipline from God. And for unbelievers, none of their suffering is fatherly discipline from God. That's what it says. That's, that's, if, if we're being disciplined, it's because we're his children. He only disciplines his children. So all will suffer but not all will be disciplined by their suffering. In other words, I, if I could say it this way, I, I think what I'm arguing is that whether or not suffering is discipline is not so much what happens as it is God's purposes in it, our view of it, and the result of it. Right? Uh, James 1, 2 talks about Various trials. First Peter 1 6 uh, talks about various trials. Right. In this, first just first Peter 1 6, though you rejoice in what? You rejoice. Uh, they are rejoicing in their inheritance that's been revealed. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So it's not all the same. They're different trials for different people. Um, James talks about that. Job, the book of Job, but also in James chapter 5, uh, James talks about Job and he presents him. If you just want to turn there with me, it's the book right after the Hebrews, James 5, 10 and 11. He, he presents Job as an example of patience and endurance of suffering. So he says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So Job is held out as an example 
of endurance in suffering. And his suffering was not persecution in the way that we think about persecution normally from another human being toward this human being. His suffering feels like more of the nature of the general suffering of the world where he loses his wealth and his health and his family. And then, likewise, the Beatitudes. Right? The Beatitudes commend as blessed those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But those aren't the only people that it commends. It commends those who are pure in heart. It commends those who are poor in spirit. It commends those who are merciful. Okay? So, in other words, all of that is simply to say that I don't believe that God's discipline depends so much on what... So like, for instance, if that's true, if it's true that all of our suffering... Sorry, sorry, if it's true that God's discipline only means persecution, then if you haven't been persecuted, you're not actually one of God's children. I'm not prepared to go there. Okay? So I'm, I'm arguing that all of our suffering is used by God as his discipline on us. And so it's not so much what happens as it is God's purposes in it, your view of it, and the result from it. Right. So just think, if an unbeliever and a believer experience the same suffering, and sometimes that really does happen, they experience the same suffering, the believer will trust God's purposes in it, The believer will take heart in God's promises in the midst of it. The believer will look to Jesus as example and strength. The believer will draw nearer to God through it and be purified by it, while the other won't. And so I'm arguing that in that sense, one has been disciplined, one has not. So... Let me just build this argument out of Hebrews 12 here. Uh, Verse 9. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Okay? There is no sonship apart from submission to God. There is no life apart from submission to God. So you're not a son if you don't submit to God. There is no discipline apart from sonship, verses 7 and 8, right? It is for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, you're illegitimate children and not sons. There's no sonship without submission. There is no discipline without sonship. And there is no holiness and righteousness without discipline. That's verses 10 and 11. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness, Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So the question is not, when dealing with, have I experienced the discipline of God on my life or not? The question, I don't believe, is so much, well, have you suffered? As it is, what was your outlook on it and what was the outcome of it? So let me give you eight diagnostic questions about this to determine whether or not you may have experienced God's discipline at some point in your life. Um, I'm going to share these in the newsletter. I'm going to read through them quickly. 
now, but I will, I'm just giving you my word to share them in the newsletter tomorrow. The most basic question for any of us in this room, actually the most eternally pressing question for any of us in this room is, am I submitted to God? Like, have I surrendered, yielded myself to God and his authority? Am I submitted to God? The second question is, do I hope and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? That's just, those are getting at sonship, right? Because discipline is not the only indicator of sonship either. It is a true one, but it is not the only one. Do my desires line up with the, the flesh or the spirit, right? Galatians says that those two are contrary to one another, Okay? Do my desires line up with the flesh or the spirit more? Um, are my actions then consistent with the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit? Have I and those close to me seen growth in personal holiness over the last year, five years, ten years? Am I trending in the right direction toward the Lord, toward holiness, toward godly, holy character and righteous conduct? Do I fight against, wage war on, grapple with, and agonize over sin? Like, am I more willing to die than disobey than I was last year or the year before? What is my view of hardship, difficulty, and suffering? Do I trust that God has purposes in them even when I can't see them? Even when it feels like the opposite, do I continue to trust Him? And then finally, am I willing to suffer for righteousness? I believe not all of us will suffer for our righteousness in the way that we see experience in the Bible. But I do believe all of us should be willing to suffer for our righteousness, if that's what the Lord calls. That's why in the book of 1 Peter, he'll say, it's better for you to suffer for righteousness if that should be God's will than for evil. So it's not necessarily so that we will suffer for our righteousness, but we ought to be willing to. And when we're suffering, we ought not let our circumstances serve as an excuse for disobedience. Would I rather die than disobey? Those are those eight diagnostic questions. Um, And now, what I'm also going to say is I'm going to deal a little bit more with this in the newsletter tomorrow as well. Other forms of, of God's discipline on us It doesn't only have to come in the form of suffering. It often does. And all of the suffering and hardship and afflictions that we experience, we can see our outlook as believers can be this is. uh, It it may not have originated from God in the sense that like God is making this happen. Although it might be. We need to leave space for that. It might be. Um, We see see the interplay of, uh, of Satan and of God and, and how that works in the suffering uh, in the book of Job. So it, it might be that there is some oppression from, uh, from dark forces that are bringing suffering into your life. I'm not ready to say all suffering is of the devil or from the devil. I'm also not ready to say everything is from God, although he allows all of it, right? But, but as a believer, we can say, God, this is your discipline on me. Help me be trained by it, right? That can be your outlook on it. Um, but it's not only suffering. I'm going to discuss other forms of discipline like conversations, confrontations, and rebukes. 
the Bible itself and even our circumstances, not necessarily suffering, but just hard decisions that we have to make. God uses those to, uh, to change us and make us more like him. Okay. I've said this already, but endurance means to remain under. And I, I would just point you to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19 for a really good definition of what remaining under, what endurance looks like. Um, this is what Peter writes. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Okay? So we trust. I'm suffering. I trust you, God. I will continue to trust you that you have plans and purposes for me in the midst of it. And I will continue to pursue righteousness for your glory. I will not sin to get out from under this and I will not sin in the midst of it and I will not sin against you by accusing you of doing bad to me. I will remain under it. I will endure. Entrust yourself to a faithful creator. Persist in righteousness and don't let suffering cause you to give up on righteousness. Remain under the trial and trust God's timing and purposes. Okay, so we're called to endure God's discipline. When he disciplines us, we're called to endure it. Um, But there's more to be said than that. It's not just that we're called to endure it. What we also find throughout the New Testament is actually that our endurance of suffering, when we suffer, it produces more endurance in us. Like this is what I mean by this is the process for getting to that point. Okay, Uh, James 1, 3 and 4. James 1 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's the same word. It's, It's endurance. It produces that quality within you. Then Romans chapter 5 verse 3. Brother Paul also says, Something very similar. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering calls for endurance. You are called to endure suffering as God's discipline. And yet, that suffering is also going to build you up in your ability to endure suffering. It's like this upward spiral. Endure. Now you're able to endure more, so endure. Now you're able to endure more, so endure. You just keep going up and up and up into the heights of glory. Endurance is also built up by suffering. So suffering and discipline, that is God's process for helping us endure to the end. It's how he forms in us the character that would say, I would rather die than disobey. And so what we have to turn our attention to, I I realize that we are quickly running short on time, if we're not already, (laughs) Um, is a future expectation from endurance. We have to look at this. We cannot neglect this. Uh, I'm in Romans 5. Let me get back to Hebrews 12. That would be helpful. Besides the fact that discipline is a sign of sonship, look at all the other benefits. Right? In verse 9, as we submit... To the Father, 
We live. We have life. Moreover, enduring discipline causes you to share in that one great character trait of our Father, His holiness. Right? It, your, his discipline doesn't just cause you to see God's holy character. It causes you to share God's holy character. You become like Him. God refines your character with His discipline. Do you want to share in God's holiness? There is no better good that could be done to you than to share in God's holiness. And that's what discipline does. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. And then, in verse 11, it's the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And and I love it because this is actually where that definition of faith comes in as looking to the unseen, looking to the reward that we can't see. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. I don't see this doing this in my soul, but I trust God that through this, you're going to make me bear the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Like I, I will just trust that and I will endure in the midst of it, right? We don't evaluate based on the present moment, You have to look to the future. It says the peaceful fruit of righteousness comes when? Verse 11, when? Say it. Later. It's not now. Of course you're not going to see it now. If you are a parent in here, tell me which spanking finally cured your child. It's not this one discipline moment and, oh, I'm good now. It's the cumulative effect of thousands of discipline moments and conversations and rebukes and encouragements and exhortations and, yes, spankings that add up over decades to produce the type of adult that you want your child to be. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father as He disciplines us. It's later that it yields. So you have to trust his purposes and his timing. And it might be that you are sowing seeds through your endurance now that won't ripen and mature until the day of eternity. And still you believe and you die in faith. There's a lag between our endurance and its result, but that doesn't make it any less certain or real. As you consider your suffering, what if you decided to view it as discipline from your gracious, loving, sovereign, heavenly Father and His hand instead of just bad luck or random chance or a sign of His displeasure? Um, What if the one thing you want out of so badly is the very thing through which God wants to work some particular glory in you? Like the thing that you say, I would never choose that for myself and I want out as fast as possible. What if that light momentary affliction is actually the thing producing in you an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison? Oh wait, that's what 2 Corinthians 4 tells us is happening. We endure for the joy set before us. What if, in John Chrysostom's words, 
the very thing in which you feel deserted by God is actually the very thing that should convince you that you aren't. And which he has using, which he is using to do his loving work in you. Does that change your outlook? Does that change your willingness to remain under the trial? Like, what if God wants to grow your ability to say no to future sins by your saying no to present sins? Discipline is God's process for discipleship. Faith remains under his discipline, knowing his purposes will ripen in his time. So, pray with me. Father, so much more that we could say. I just feel, I feel the inadequacy of words and time to describe what we're talking about and to even hint at these realities. But God, impress them on our hearts. Show us clearly these things and make us desire to endure with Christ, because of Christ, and like Christ for the joy that is set before us, namely life forever with you and the peaceful fruit of righteousness that comes later. God, I know that there are men and women in here who are suffering right now, and I pray your deep encouragement. And I ask that they would feel it as your loving hand upon them and that you would give them the strength and the grace to remain and to fight sin and temptation. Give us this preference to die rather than disobey. And let your discipline lead us there. In Jesus' name, amen. We make our turn to the table now. And we see at this table a picture of what it looks like to prefer death to disobedience. And we see the way that we are brought out of disobedience and into obedience, out of death and into life. And it's through the body of Jesus broken instead of ours and the blood of Jesus shed instead of ours. Jesus for your sake, resisted sin to the point of shedding his blood. And that is why we celebrate this table. That is why we have access to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and help in our time of need. So this table is for those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, who are willing now to repent of known sins and to trust fully in Christ and no one else for salvation, nothing else for salvation. If that describes you, you are welcome at this table. This table is for people who are fighting against sin. We often talk about, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this. Well, I hope that that's true. I really hope that you are struggling against it, that you're fighting, that you're agonizing over it. But even if you haven't always done that, this is a table where you can still meet with your king. Lay your sins down. Repent of them anew. Trust in him anew. Like be renewed in your repentance and faith in Christ. And ask for the strength to walk differently, to live differently, 
to fight against sin. And let your coming to the table be this appeal to God for that very thing. If you want to pray, uh, I'll be down front. I would love to talk to you. I would love to pray for you, to pray with you. Um, Use this time for self-examination and then come in repentance and faith. If you don't know Jesus, if you've not surrendered yourself to him, you're not submitted to God, you could not truly and rightly be called a child of God, don't eat and drink of this table. You will eat and drink judgment upon yourself. You'll be guilty of the body and blood of Christ, the very thing that could set you free from your sins. So take Jesus instead of the bread and the cup. If you want to pray about that, I will be down front. I would love to receive you. This is our time of kind of invitation, if you want to call it that. We've also set aside this time for giving. This is the time that we have. The the plate is behind me. If, uh, If the Lord has led your heart to give as an act of faith and gratitude and worship, this is the time that we do that. Use this time to examine yourself come to the table and meet your king where he's promised to meet you. As we gather at the table of the Lord, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, build up these men and women in their most holy faith. Build us up in our endurance, in our hatred of sin, in our love of of and submission to you and your word and calls us to endure suffering for the sake of discipline. We pray for your loving confrontation and rebuke of our sins if we need it and that your spirit would lead us in repentance. Let us always take heart in and celebrate the grace of Christ because of his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus, thank you for bearing the wrath of the Father on our behalf. May we honor you and may our observance of your table be fitting and appropriate today. In Jesus' name, amen. Table's open.
again we remember that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's drink together he says for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes father I, I pray for your encouragement even through this simple act of remembering the sufferings and endurance of Jesus. I pray that we would not grow weary and faint-hearted, that as Galatians tells us, we'd not grow weary in doing good. For the proper time, we'll, receive, we'll, we'll uh, reap a harvest if we don't grow weary. Help us not to give up. Help us not to grow faint. Encourage our hearts. Thank you for your steadfast love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So we're going to pray. Uh, actually, can I call an audible? Let's pray for Israel right now. Uh, I think that that is a pressing, and I'm not saying that the, the, the Czech people are not a pressing concern, um, but there is a literal war happening in Israel right now. And, uh, and would you just cry out to God that justice will prevail that violence would cease, that righteousness uh, would be done. Uh, would you cry out for that right now?
Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on our sin-ravaged world and the people in it. The sin-ravaged people in it. Atrocities and violence abound in Israel right now. There are believers in Jesus who are Jewish and there are believers in Jesus who are Palestinian that are caught up and in as much as they trust in Christ they are our spiritual lineage they are our family and we want to ask that your mercy and protection would be toward them that you would help them to remain faithful where they find themselves and that they would uh, that they would continue in righteousness as they suffer this affliction God, there are unbelieving Jews who hope falsely in your law to save them. And there are unbelieving Palestinians who hope uh, in Islam as a means of coming to God. And for both of them, we pray that your word prevail upon their hearts and lead them to repentance and faith in the Messiah, in Israel's Messiah. So God, bring Jews and Palestinians to yourself. And Father, we we long for the time when the Messiah plants his feet on this earth again and puts wars to an end, when swords will be beaten into plowshares. God, right now we ask that in a small microcosmic way you would do that over there. Let righteousness and justice prevail and let violence cease. Lord, have mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. I only have one announcement that I know of and that is that the fall festival has officially just been canceled So we did not have enough trunks signed up to to justify doing it. So we just decided it was best not to do it. So uh, no hard feelings. We We just needed to cancel it. So there is that. Does anybody have another announcement? That's right. Why did I forget that? Women's night. Uh, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock at Bonnie's house. Uh, Last week it was Mike's house. This week it's Bonnie's house. Um, So... There will be text messages that will go out to, uh, to figure out what y'all are having and what everybody can bring. But that's all I've got. All right. Can we stand together? Let's pray as we dismiss. Lord, I pray this morning for all of us. Lord, as we inevitably will go through suffering, Lord, I do pray that it would produce perseverance within us. That we would be steadfast in the hope that we have. Lord, as we come upon our hardships in life, Lord, that we would look to you and ask, Lord, what do you have to change me in in the midst of this season? Lord, may we have the courage to ask that question and to move forward and to look to you. Lord, help us as we go this week. Lord, may your favor and your blessing follow every person in this room. Lord, 
be with us. Show forth your power and your presence in our life, in the life of our family, and those who we come in contact with. We love you. We pray this in the name.